Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. They want to be able to control you. They want to be able to control their kingdom. They feel insecure when other people are around. They they feel like your attention is on other people other than them. They feel your love is on people other than them. And they don't want you to love or feel affection for people other than them. That's why they isolate you. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Let's talk about how narcissists justify their horrendous, horrible, awful behavior. The rest of the world is looking at them going, what the hell? How are you doing this? And and you don't even see it. And for those of us who've been in relationships with narcissists, you think, they, obviously, they must see it. They must know what they're doing or how, how they're making people feel or, or the, the damage that they're doing, the drama, the trauma, the chaos that they cause, right? Um, but how do they get away with it and, and, and just... They sleep at night. How do they justify it to themselves? That's what we're going to talk about today. So when you're dealing with a narcissist, it's really important to understand the psyche of a narcissist. So a lot of people just think a narcissist is anybody who says, I'm great. I did something amazing. Okay, fantastic. I mean, sometimes people say that because they need to for their own credibility or whatever, but That's not the only part of what makes a narcissist. Just because somebody says, I accomplished something, doesn't make them a narcissist. What really is the, where the rubber hits the road, what really makes that narcissist a narcissist is the fact that they cannot feel empathy for anyone else. And that's the part that a lot of people forget about. They just can't. They sometimes they're good enough, if they're a covert narcissist, they're good enough at pretending like they care about a person. They know what the steps are that they have to go through. They know what to say. They know the actions that they probably need to take just enough, just enough to manipulate the person into having them do what they want to do or feel what they want them to feel. But they don't actually feel anything for that other person. So how does that manifest itself when they're justifying their heinous behavior? Well, it manifests itself in a, in a number of ways. So the first way that they justify their behavior to themselves is they just decide that they're always right. They literally think that they're always right. Remember that a narcissist has no inner sense of value. They are like the smallest, most fragile little ego 
CEOs on the planet. So to admit that they're wrong actually means that they have to give away like a part of themselves that they just decided like when they were five or six, seven years old that they could never do. It's survival for them. They just cannot admit that they're wrong. So how do they justify their behavior to themselves? They just decide that they're always right. Um, they'll, they'll never admit that they're wrong. You know, no matter how many mistakes there are, no matter how many things they did, they, you, you look at it and you go, you know, even if you present them evidence, you know, here's where you said something and here's where you're wrong, they'll just decide, no, that's not, that doesn't exist. I'm, I'm right. So that's number one. They're always right. Number two is you're wrong. And it kind of seems like the same thing as I'm always right, but it's just one more step forward with this. And it's like, okay, if, if I'm always right, then you must be the one that's wrong or somebody else must be the one that's wrong. And, and that's what happened, you know, caused this behavior. You know, I had an employee one time who constantly was making mistakes, but she would always say it had to do with somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. You know, I was waiting for this to happen and that's why I didn't get it done on time. You know, she could never say, uh, you know, I should have figured out how to get it done on time. She just always had to make the uh, somebody else wrong. So someone else was wrong. So, you know, def uh, deflecting this onto someone else is another way of saying you're wrong rather than, you know, I'm right. So since I'm right, you must be wrong or somebody else must be the wrong one. And if you want to know more about deflecting and how narcissists deflect, make sure you check out my video on how to catch a narcissist in a lie and what happens when you do catch a narcissist in a lie. And the third way that narcissists sleep at night is that they just decide that the rules and the, the laws or whatever it is, they just don't apply to them. They're for other people. They're for people who are lesser than them. They're for people who, you know, are ordinary and they're not. So, the, you know, they don't have to abide by what everybody else wants because they're entitled. They're entitled and that's why they can cross boundaries and they can do all the things that make people miserable. And they're not wrong in doing that because they're entitled. So, you know, I, one of the narcissists in my life used to come right in uh, to people's houses, go right into people's offices, go right into the back part of people's offices, just go start talking to people, not even, you know, telling or asking the receptionist if they could do that. They just go right in because they're entitled. And so normal rules, normal laws didn't apply to that person because that person was entitled to do what he or she wanted to do. So that's number three. So how do they even keep going once these things have happened? So, you know, once they've denied it, they've deflected, they've, they've said it's your fault, they've blamed it on other people, how are they moving on and how are they sleeping at night? Well, number one is 
okay, well, let's not dwell on that. Let's just move on. So you're not going to get an apology, probably. And if you do, they may not mean it. And if you want to know more about narcissists' apologies, check out my video on whether or not narcissists apologize. And if they do, do they mean it? But if they have apologized or they haven't, whatever, it, you know, from that point forward, they just want to erase it from their memories and they expect you to erase it from your memory too and just move on. You're not allowed to have lingering hurt over it or upset, you know, being upset about it. You're supposed to just move forward, move on. It's done. Forget about it. So whenever a narcissist is faced with having to have a conscience about something that they've done or any havoc that they've raised or some kind of thing that they're supposed to take responsibility for, the easiest way for them to sleep at night is just, you know, say, yeah, I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. And that's kind of like the gaslighting process too, because they'll just say, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. It didn't happen that way. Or if it happened that way, it wasn't that bad. You're overblowing it. Um, you're making way more out of the situation than you needed to. Or um, no, I actually wasn't involved with that, even though you know that they were. Uh, or I didn't cause it to happen. Somebody else caused it to happen. So if you're upset, it shouldn't be at me. So how they sleep at night is just decide that whatever happened, Happened. If it was wrong, it wasn't their fault. And if it was their fault, it wasn't that bad. And since it wasn't that bad, you should just move on. And um, everybody should just forget about it. And that'll be the easiest way for everyone to just start anew. So that's kind of how they, they are able to sleep at night because they just have decided that it, it doesn't have anything to do with them anymore. Many people who have dealt with the effects of non-physical narcissistic abuse and, you know, many people say, why isn't this illegal? You know, you can actually get a restraining order for physical abuse, right? But you can't get a restraining order for, you can't see it, but it sure does take its toll on you physically. It sure does take its toll on you emotionally. I've certainly been there. I've certainly felt the effects of it myself personally. So I definitely know. I mean, one of the things that it can cause in you is chronic post-traumatic stress disorder, there's a very big difference between CPTSD and PTSD, not to take away from PTSD, which is very awful also, but the difference between CPTSD and PTSD is that PTSD actually happens to people when they've been exposed to one event, you know, a car accident or a war or something like that. Chronic post-traumatic stress disorder happens to people when they've been exposed to something over a long period of time, like narcissistic abuse. And what happens is it causes long-term effects on your body, long-term stress, long-term trauma on your body. And you end up really having, you know, autoimmune issues, kidney disorders, liver disorders. It can cause diabetes in your body because of the elevated 
A1C levels, the elevated stress in your body. I mean, when you have elevated cortisol levels in your body, it ends up causing a lot of havoc in 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 your body. You know, your gut health issues, your vagus nerve, you, you know, constant stress, your body is in constant fight or flight mode and it really wreaks havoc in many different areas. Your hair starts falling out. You can't sleep right. Your skin starts to look bad. You don't even see straight sometimes. You know, that's how it starts manifesting. But what are the non-physical signs of narcissistic abuse? And I'm going to go through them. And so I want you to listen to me. And if you are having these, I want you to know that this is happening to you, that these are signs of narcissistic abuse. Number one is that this person is isolating you from family or friends. And this happens pretty early on in a narcissistic relationship. And it's kind of subtle. You know, they'll start to say things like, why do you have to talk to this person on the phone? Why do you have to talk to them for so long? Why can't you just be with me? Why are you talking to that person now? Why do you have to spend so much time with that person? That person doesn't love you like I do. Or I don't really like that person. Or that person doesn't like me, so I don't want to spend time with them. You know, that kind of thing. And so all of a sudden, you're being isolated from those people. And now you find yourself away from the people that you once loved or the people that you once enjoyed spending time with, the people that you once enjoyed having a relationship with. And little by little, you no longer have a relationship with those family or friends, with those people that you once loved. You know, and it's 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 a strange thing. Right. So they isolate you. Now you're moving away from them. And they do this. It's a control issue. They want to be able to control you. They want to be able to control their kingdom. They feel insecure when other people are around. They, they feel like your attention is on other people other than them. They feel your love is on people other than them. And they don't want you to love or feel affection for people other than them. That's why they isolate you. Okay, so that's number one. And and by the way, that's why I've created support systems like I have. And if this is happening to you, I have a free private Facebook group that you can join. It's my Narcissist Negotiators Facebook group. It's totally free. I also do have my inner circle, which you can join, slayinnercircle.com. So I invite you to take advantage of the resources that I have. That's number one. Number two is they uh, twist the truth and they gaslight you, right? So they'll say things like, oh, we talked about that and you agreed. Don't you remember? And they say things with such authority, with such confidence that you think, I don't remember having that conversation. And the first few times that it happens, you're like, oh yeah, I definitely didn't have, I definitely didn't say that. But you know, it happens over and over again. And you're in the relationship for so long that you start to really believe them. And it's a person that 
you trust, if it's a romantic relationship who purports to love you, who purports to care about you, and oftentimes is maybe successful in other areas in their life. And so you think that they know what they're talking about. And so they twist things and you trust them. You think maybe they're right. Maybe maybe we didn't have that conversation or maybe I did. Maybe I did say that or maybe I am wrong. And you really start to question yourself and they project things and they start to say, you know, you're wrong. It's, It's your fault. You're the one. Things start to be projected onto you often and you start to question yourself. So twisting truth or they say it's somebody else's fault. It was them. It was somebody else. Projection, deflection, lying, denying, constantly twisting truths. But most of the time, it's you. You're delusional. You're the one with the problem. Twisting truths, constant gaslighting, non-physical sign of narcissistic abuse. It erodes away at you. So you who once felt good about yourself, who once felt like you knew who you were, start to feel unsure, unsteady, unstable. Non-physical sign of narcissistic abuse. Number three, hot and cold behavior. I love you. I hate you. I'm all over you. I can't get enough of you. Get the heck off of me. You're amazing. You're the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I'm repulsed by you. I mean, it's literally almost like that, but not always in those terms, but basically kind of like that from day to day. And there was a study done by a psychiatrist or psychologist named Robert Sapolsky from Stanford on monkeys. One set of monkeys were given a treat every single time they did something great. In those monkeys' brains, nothing happened. The other other set of monkeys were given a treat sometimes, intermittently. They didn't know when they were going to get something. Those monkeys, just the anticipation of maybe they were going to maybe get rewarded, the anticipation caused the dopamine levels in their brain to rise to the level of cocaine. Not getting the treat, the anticipation that they might. And that's what happens with this hot and cold behavior. Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And that's what happens with these narcissists. You know, constant flooding, 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 showing up at your house or office, you know, whatever, flowers sweep you off your feet. And then the next day ghosting you, not responding to emails, I can't stand you, you're so needy, I have to work, what's your problem? Hot and cold. And that's that's what they do, you know, or this withhold of information, private, I can't tell you things, don't go into my stuff. You know, that very moody, hot and cold. And that's that cycle. And then don't leave me. I hate you. Don't leave me. That's what causes that trauma bond. The fourth one is this invasion of privacy and no boundaries. And, you know, this is another one of those one-sided things, by the way. Don't touch their stuff. Don't even go near their phone. Don't go into their things. They'll absolutely go ballistic and berserk on you if you even go near sniffing their, touching their stuff. But they 
are allowed to break into your computer, break into your phone, show up wherever, and have absolutely no boundaries with regard to your space, your stuff. And even if you are like a professional, I mean, I'm aware of narcissists who will show up at their spouse's offices, even if they're doctors, lawyers, whatever, and there's confidential information around about their patients, about their clients that have nothing to do with their spouse, that they should not be seeing, that they should not be touching, that they should not be around, but they don't care because they feel like that spouse belongs to them. Or maybe it's their son, or maybe it's their daughter, or maybe it's their whoever. And if they feel like they're allowed to just barrel in, then that's what they get to do. Invasion of privacy, no boundaries when it comes to them. Like, it's all about them. These people are possessions to them. You belong to me, right? And, And that's why you have to be so done with these people. You have to be so done. You have to create boundaries. You have to create boundaries. And that's the only way that you cut off that toxicity, You've got to be so done. That's what I help you do. That's where I come in. Because I I totally know how to help you be so done. All right, that's my specialty. And the next one, number five, this is where it gets kind of scary, okay? Because this is where they can become malignant. And I've seen this. This is where sometimes you need restraining orders. This is where sometimes you need, you know, court intervention. Jealousy, and accusations. You know, it can turn very toxic here. It can turn kind of even deadly sometimes. When when they can become super jealous, they start to stalk, they start to have become violent, but that's a very very telltale sign of non-physical narcissistic abuse. You know, it's it's you know, sometimes people can be a little bit jealous here and there or whatever, but when they start accusing you, when they start really going a little bit insane with the accusations when they start going over the top with the jealousy and accusations, it's not okay. And it's constant. Where were you? What are you doing? I want to see your phone. They start tracking you. I've seen car trackers, phone trackers. That's not okay. I've seen them slash tires. Not okay. That's when you have to be so done. It, it can get kind of dangerous. Okay. So jealousy and at an accusation. Yeah. The reason I am on this mission is because I haven't had to deal with covert narcissists, the subject of today's video. I've had to deal with them in a business setting, one of them in a business setting and one in my extended family. I had never even heard the term covert narcissist before until somebody pointed it out to me. And I remember when we were having this conversation, the the person who pointed it out to us pointed it out to my husband and me first. And they were like, oh, that, that person, that family member that you're dealing with is a covert narcissist. And I remember I was like, Covert narcissist. I never even heard that term before, but I remember thinking, oh, I don't think she's a narcissist. I mean, a narcissist to me was like a 
boastful, bragging, you know, super egotistical, usually a male, like to me, it was always a male. I mean, it had never occurred to me, number one, that a narcissist could be a female. And by the way, the person who was calling this person a narcissist happened to be a psychologist. I was like, I don't think she's a narcissist. Pretty sure she's just like really insecure. And he was like, okay, you know what? Let it be a hypothesis. And if I'm wrong, I guess you'll know it. And if I'm right, you'll know it too. The facts and circumstances will bear it out. And of course, he was 100% right. But as time went on and I started to read and learn much more about it, I started to really figure it out. And so, you know, there's so much that goes into a covert narcissist. But, you know, my hypothesis is that I think women do tend to be more the covert kind because women want to be more under the radar. You know, they tend to want to be, you know, they want to look nice. They want to look kind. I mean, but I don't know. I think that there are a lot of male covert narcissists too. You know, they're the ones that nobody suspects. Like the world thinks that they're so fantastic. They're so charismatic. They're The world thinks they're wonderful. So... Anyway, here are some strange behaviors of covert narcissists. I mean, number one is that they're super passive aggressive. Their words do not match their actions. So they're like super kind and and absolutely, I will do that for you. Absolutely, I will get right back to you on that. And then you don't hear from them or, you know, I will, I definitely want to make sure that you were taken care of. And then they don't. And so you're left like so confused all the time. And and then, you know, do I force them on that? Do I ask them about that? And does this make me a bad person? Because they're so nice. And then here you are the one like, Am I being passive aggressive? Am I being the one that's problem? It seems very strange because they seem so nice. So it's kind of a strange behavior because they seem so nice, but it's actually not strange if you get to know who they are as a covert narcissist. So that's number one. Number two is they value the opinions of strangers over family. I mean, and this is something that my husband and I have seen with the covert narcissist uh, that we've had to deal with in our family situation. You know, this particular person who shall not be named definitely values the opinions of strangers over family. It can be painful uh, unless you realize and just accept that that's who they are, that they are narcissists. And that's what narcissists do. They are seeking that external praise. They're seeking that narcissistic supply. And that's the very strange thing about narcissists. They they kind of take for granted the opinions or the supply that they're getting within their inner circle. They don't I don't really care about the supply that they already have. That's just sort of a given. They want the supply that they're getting externally. For some reason, that means more to them than the supply or the validation that they can get 
from the people who actually love them, from the people who actually care about them or actually value them. Um, they prefer to get it from other people that they don't even know. But that's how it is. It doesn't really make any sense, but that is very strange. Um, and so that's number two. Number three, and I will never really get over number three, to be honest with you. Um, both of the covert narcissists that I had to deal with did this uh, with me. And I found it very odd, very weird, very super creepy. And that is that they stare at you. I actually did a whole video on this just because I really couldn't stand it. My whole video was called Why the Narcissist is Always Watching You. You know, both of the narcissists I, I had to deal with, I, I would find like would be staring at me, watching me. They do, they stalk your social media, they check out what you're doing. You know, I would find that they would like copy me, watch what I was wearing, copy that. And, and, you know, some people would be like, who don't understand narcissism, they'd be like, oh, but that's so flattering. That's so, you know, that's so nice that they would like want to be like you or something. But no, like those of you who understand narcissism, like, you know, that it's not flattering. It's like the creepy kind. Actually, recently I had dinner with another couple who happened to let me know that one of the narcissists that I had to deal with that I've completely cut out of my life, not the family member one, but the other one, let me know that there was like some like buddy who was in touch with somebody else that, you know, sort of like, like this fringe sort of uh, in touch that like there's that like narcissist that's still like trying to poke their head through to try to get through the boundaries that I've created. I mean, very sad. But, you know, from my own growth perspective, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't really feel any emotion about it. So it was actually good. It was like a little test for me because when I heard about it, I was like, that is so, so pathetic. I actually found myself feeling like nothing. So I was, I was glad about that. So that's number three. Number four is they're super weird about gift giving. You know, they kind of like don't really want to give gifts. They like, oh, here you go. And there's like ties against it. They don't really like to give gifts. Um, I do have a video on that too, by the way, if you want to check it out. But, you know, narcissists, they, there's always like strings. They don't like to give gifts, really. There's always uh, something involved with the gifts. So that's number four. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, 
or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash best life, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash best life. Number five is they're chameleons, you know, like they're kind of one way with one group and one way with another group and one way with this person and another way with that person because, you know, they whatever color they are with this person, they might be a different color with a different person because, you know, they don't have a sense of self, right? Because they're a narcissist. So that's number five. Number six, This is actually another little sore spot for me because this is something I had to deal with in my business setting kind of situation. Anyway, they definitely take credit for your ideas. Yep, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, did not like that. But they do that. They definitely like to take credit for your ideas because they don't have any ideas of their own. Yes. Because, you know, they are energy vampires. That's part of what they do. They suck the energy out of you. All right. And number seven, number seven. This is another little catchy little tune that the coverts like to play. This is another little strange behavior of theirs, which is they act like they're strong. I'm so strong. I'm so good. But then... They also like to play the victim. Very strange, very weird. They want to play like they're strong, they're so good. But then they also, oh, they played me. I can't believe they did that to me. I'm so weak. The whole passive aggressive thing, part of the whole covert thing. I'm so nice, but I'm also, you know, like I got knives under me, you know, so warm over here, but there's ice in my blood. Yes, indeed. So anyway, those are the seven top strange behaviors of covert narcissists. The one that I personally detest the most because I've had to deal with them. Let's talk about the two secrets narcissists don't want you to know. So they have two selves. Let me explain something. Narcissists were created out of trauma. They were not born that way. It's not a DNA thing. It's not like they come into the world this way. You know, we come into the world feeling whole. We come into the world feeling like pretty good. Like, I think I'm a pretty good human. I think there's, uh, I'm a good person. You know, I mean, we feel good inside. It's, it's when, Things start happening to us that we start reacting to the world and feeling like, oh, maybe I'm not so great. Maybe there is something wrong with me. And that happens to all of us, by the way. We all have traumas and triggers and insecurities and feelings of doubt. You know, none of us are immune from that. I wish we were. Certainly I'm not. You know, those of us who are out there that say we're not, those are the narcissists, by the way. You know, all of us have our our moments of, of that. 
But what happens is with narcissists is that during their childhood, they were exposed to trauma on a regular basis. Something happened to them that caused them to constantly be in survival mode on a regular basis. That constantly caused them to feel like they were having to be in that fight or flight, you know, feeling. And when you're in fight or flight, our brains emit chemicals, our brains emit, you know, epinephrine, things like that, that cause us to be able to be stronger, faster, better so that we can fight or, or fly, right? So that's where the fight or flight comes from. And when we're children, and this happens on a regular basis, causes the brain to actually have arrested development in the limbic system part of our brain. And then what happens as you get older is that that part of the brain then doesn't develop properly. So then the prefrontal cortex part of the brain, you know, other parts of the brain, you know, of course we grow up and the logic part of the brain is, you know, there. But what happens is with narcissists, when they are presented with certain stimuli, which makes them feel like they need to survive or they feel like where they're again being put in situations which are similar to those situations that made them feel defensive or made them feel like they were, you know, potentially in danger, then that narcissistic injury gets triggered. So, you know, when does that happen to them? Well, you know, it could be any kind of situation, but a lot of times it's when they feel exposed. It's when they feel somebody has, you know, slighted them in some way. Somebody has, you know, outed them or, uh, you know, caused them to, to, to be feel less in a situation or whatever it is. Then that narcissistic injury gets triggered. That narcissistic rage comes flying out. That limbic system of the brain gets, gets uh, activated. And here comes that, that, Cage, it's almost like a caged animal. It's almost like that, that part of them, that survival part of them comes out and they, they literally cannot help themselves and they see black and white. It's like that other part of their brain is shut off and they only see that at that moment. They cannot see the good anymore. They only see the bad. And, you know, so there, there they are. But the two secrets they don't want you to know are that they have these two selves. What happened when all of this was taking place as children is they almost split into two. They have this true self, which was the scared little self that they hide away, which is almost like a shriveled little you know version of themselves that's that that's hidden it's weak and then there's the false self the one that they show the world and yeah we all sort of have this somewhat of a, di a dichotomy like that but they really have a dichotomy for them it's it's a very much of a dichotomy so th those are the two secrets 
They've got this true self and then the false self that they they show the world. And that true self is never to be seen by anyone ever. And that false self is the one that they must protect at any cost. And, you know, that's why they do not ever want to be exposed. That's why they must, must layer on that narcissistic supply from external sources by adulation, having the prestigious friends, the prestigious houses, the money, the power, the control, all of those things have to come from external sources, but they feel totally and completely empty inside. And it's that black hole that can never be filled. And they feel like they're desperate for air, starving inside because they just feel like they can never fill that black hole that's inside of them, that true self that they're hiding away, that scared little self. And that's why I say to you all the time that they're way more afraid of you than you are of them because that true self that's inside of them is super scared. The problem is that everything they do is transactional. Everything they do is a manipulation. Everything they do comes from that place of fear, comes from that place of manipulation, comes from that place of scared self, that that survival self. So really that's secret number two is that they everything they do is a manipulation. Everything they do is transactional because they feel like they have to, have to, come from that place. They're in survival mode all the time. And they think that you are too. That's the sad thing. They don't really trust that anyone else comes from any place other than that place. They don't trust anyone. They they really do believe that everyone has an agenda that everyone wants something from them, that no one is truly good, you know? So they they don't mind taking from other people because they, they really think that everyone's out for their chips too, you know, that it's, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world. They think that it's like that because it is so sad, but that doesn't mean that you have to be in that space. You can't fix it. You can't heal it. You know, when you go to help them, they're just going to drag you into that quicksand with them. It's not going to help. It's not going to help. You know, you're going to just drown. You're just going to drown along with them. So what you need to do is move on. The hidden habits of a covert narcissist are that number one, their public persona is very different than their private persona. They look very different on the surface than who they actually are. It's very shocking when you start to realize because you just start to have this sense, but you kind of feel like you're going crazy when you start to suspect things because, you know, everybody else thinks that they're wonderful and and they still seem so wonderful when you're dealing with them, but things aren't adding up. You know, it's just sort of like they're passive aggressive. They agree to do things 
absolutely. Oh yeah, I of course I'll do that for you. And then then they don't. And and you're asking them about it again. Oh, of course I'll get to that. Yes. And then they don't. You're so like what's going on, you know, and money issues, you know, they they didn't put the money in the right place. And why didn't they, or they say they're going to get something from the store and then they don't. And, you you know, and you would just wonder like, what is going on? You know, like, oh, could you get the tickets and I'll pay, I'll make sure to pay you back. And then they, then they don't, or they say they're going to call when they're, they're supposed to, but then they don't. And, Oh yeah, I just, you know, I didn't get to that, but you know, they still seem like they're so nice. So you, you just think like, maybe it's inadvertent or maybe I'm reading too much into this or, you know, it's, it's very, very subtle, but then it just keeps happening and things are not the way they seem, but you know, their public persona is very, very different because they're just very passive aggressive. So that's, Number one. Number two is they express rage and then they deny their anger. It's just like this, this surface thing that's happening. And then, oh, I'm not angry. You know, I mean, it's just like they, they seem like they're angry, but then they, oh, I'm not angry. And so you just constantly think like you're the one that's going crazy all the time because it's just right underneath the surface, this constant sort of competition and smiling, but it's just this plausible deniability is happening all the time where everything they say or everything they do doesn't really quite come back to them you know? So the things that they will say and the things that they will do don't quite come back to them. You know, they might pit people against each other or they might say things such as, you know, oh, I can see that you've lost weight, but oh, too bad about the stretch marks or they withhold information. Oh, I meant to tell you that. Oh, it just slipped my mind. Little things like that. But you, when you go to tell somebody about it, they go, well, I'm sure that it was inadvertent, you know, but it just stacks up, stacks up, stacks up that sort of thing. Number three is they'll express criticism and make it sound like concern. You know, Tim, he was drinking a lot last night and I am just so worried. I'm so worried about him. I just am so concerned about his drinking, you know? You know, they might say it in a context of a custody situation where it's long before the divorce has even started. But then, you know, six months later, when the divorce actually happens, then they can say, I I did mention to you about the drinking and, you know, I'm just concerned. I'm really just concerned for the children, you know? I'm sure that you'll testify on our behalf because, you know, for the children, you know, because Tim is, is an alcoholic. You know, and Tim probably isn't an alcoholic. Tim probably just drinks like a normal person, but they say things in these ways 
that make it sound like they're just concerned, you know, so they express criticism, but they make it sound like concern. You know, those are the kinds of things that they'll do. The next thing that they will do is they will often play the victim when they're attacked. If you will say anything at all to them, like, how come the money is missing from this particular account? Or why haven't you done what you said you're going to do yet? Or something like that. Then all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're questioning me. Or my sister died and I can't believe that you would question my integrity or why would you bring that up now? And, you know, they play the victim, they start crying or something. They, they totally shift it so that they're the victim when they're attacked. All of that, like they're always the victim. Covert narcissists are excellent at being the victim and getting everybody else to think that they're the victim. I mean, that is the one thing about covert narcissists that they're very, very good at, and that's being the victim. And then number five, of course, because they are narcissists, they have a lack of empathy because narcissists are narcissists. So of course, they don't have empathy, just like all narcissists don't. And they use their guilt and shame to control others. The coverts are usually always playing the victim. So they try to make other people feel guilty. You know, I can't believe you would do this to me. You know, it must be nice for you to have what you have. I never had it like that. I never got anybody to do things you know, or, oh, that's really great for you. Oh, you know, congratulations, you know, that you get to do that. I'll just sit over here. You know, nobody ever appreciates me. Uh, nobody ever, you know, acknowledges all the things that I do for everybody, you know, and, you know, so they, they do things like that. That's the kinds of things that a, a, a covert narcissist will say. So they'll do things for people, but then they expect like a lot in return. And they have a lack of empathy for others and for what others are doing for them. So those are the kinds of hidden habits that you guys uh, might see in covert narcissists. Really, really difficult to be in a relationship with a covert narcissist. They will drive you into the ground. You, they will so suck the life out of you. They will suck your soul dry. I have been there. I have so been there. And it is absolutely painful, ruthless. And you will be up at night and feeling so drained. There's no doubt about it. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. Well, you know, I got what I needed out of that situation and it kind of took it as far as I could go. So I don't really need that person anymore. And, and it was like now that... 
I understand what that person was about. It makes perfect sense, right? But she didn't need that person anymore. She'd kind of gotten what she needed out of it, right? So finding and hanging out with their new supply is one of the things that they do to distract themselves from their misery. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life? Whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. Suddenly I was reporting in to an interim CEO that I really had no rapport and relationship with. And that's when things became hell on wheels. I mean, every day, passive aggressive, not including me in conversations, ignoring me. I was the only other woman in the C-suite with her. She would never say hello to me at meetings. She'd walk by me as if I wasn't at the table. You know, I could raise my hand and want to contribute and she just would look beyond me. It was, you know, not following up with requests for reimbursements, for payouts for my team, just this game that would ensue. Mm. And I couldn't win because she was the one holding the pen, you know, with the checkbook at the end. And now we return to today's show. Okay, so they are constantly with their phones and they have very, very weird, suspicious phone habits, these narcissists. And so I want to share their secretive behavior, five habits that they have when it comes to their phones so that you can spot this behavior and see what's going on and understand what's happening. And that way you can kind of see it and spot it ahead of time. And your antenna can be going up when you see it. All right, so number one is you'll see that they're extremely secretive. You'll see that they'll never give you access to their phone and they'll never give you the passcode to it. So when you see this happening, you know, Mm-mm. Yeah, there's something definitely going on, right? So extremely secretive. They don't give you access to it. They don't give you the passcode to it. You never know what the passcode is. And they may even be changing that passcode constantly to it. So even if you did know it at one point, you don't know it now. So, so like maybe you saw it over their shoulder at one point. Oh, you saw it was... 1825 or whatever it was. And now all of a sudden it's something different because they're extremely secretive about it and they never give you access to it. All right. 
So that's number one. Remember, I'm going to number five here. That's number one. Number two is that they are super glued to those phones. I mean, so glued to those phones. You can never hardly even get near those phones, right? I mean, not only do you not have access to the passcode to them, but they're so glued to those phones. They take those phones with them everywhere. I mean, even to into the bathroom when they're going to take a shower. I mean, you don't get near those phones to barely even have a chance to take a look at them anyway. Even if you did know the passcode or the passwords to them, you, when would you have a chance to even use them? Because those phones are so glued to them. They're so, they're almost like a part of their body. So you don't get a chance to go near them anyway. Right. I mean, some of them even like sleep with them under their pillows. Right. I mean, so you, you don't get a chance to even go near those phones. So that's number two. Number three is to hide their behavior to hide what's going on, maybe it's to hide affairs or to hide who they're talking to or whatever. They turn off their text notifications. You know, so most of the time people will have like text notifications that'll pop up even when there's a lock screen on so that, you know, you can see what's going on. Like, oh, I see I got a text, right? And you can even read the text even if the phone is locked. They'll turn off those notifications so that that doesn't pop up so that nobody can read a text if the phone is away from them for some reason so that no one can see what's going on. So that the texts and things and notifications don't pop up if the phone happens to be locked and away from them. All right. So that's another thing. So they'll turn off the notifications so that the notifications don't appear on the lock screen. And they just, you know, they're super, you know, suspicious with it. You know, they'll, they'll grab it right away. They'll act kind of funny with it. When it does happen to pop up, they'll grab it immediately and they won't let you near it. And, you know, they do act suspicious in this way, which is how they end up telling on themselves a lot of times if they are engaging in behavior that they shouldn't. And I do have a whole video on how narcissists tell on themselves. And you definitely may want to check that out if you think that there's something going on. So it's called How Narcissists Tell on Themselves. Definitely check that out. I have a whole video on how they tell on themselves. All right. And so number four, number four is that they're constantly erasing all their history. So even if you do get near their phone, even if they you somehow have their passcode, you somehow get near their phone, you somehow get into their phone, all of a sudden you see everything is gone. They have no text history, they have no history in, you know, their search history for their internet. Everything is erased all the time, which is super I think suspicious because everybody usually has you know, their text messages there or their emails there. You know, you can see their history of their browsing or whatever. Everything's always erased for them. So that's something else that is super weird, super suspicious for narcissists. They delete their logs. They delete all their messages, their browsing history. 
everything's always deleted regularly. And that's something else that I find very, very suspicious. And the last one that I've got for you today is that their phone is always on silent mode. You know, it's never where you can, it rings. And sometimes it's not even on vibrate. It's just on silent completely so that there's like no notification whatsoever. It just nothing pops up at all. So that if if anybody's near them, you just don't even get any kind of a pop-up or they don't get any kind of a pop-up. So nobody gets to see you whatsoever that they're getting any kind of an incoming anything. So those are definitely the ones for sure that I've seen weird, suspicious phone habits of narcissists. There's all kinds of other ones too, where they might have even downloaded apps that they use to communicate, or some of them don't even have any apps on their phones whatsoever. I mean, there's all kinds of other ones, but those are the main five that I've seen. Okay, so covert narcissists are actually the ones that I personally have had to deal with myself. I have had to deal with it in a business situation. And my husband and I have had to deal with one in our family. So we personally know the horrible situation that it is with covert narcissists. I mean, they are the ones that are like stealth or under the radar. The ones that kind of seem nice on the surface. Everybody thinks that they're so nice. And the ones that actually are the worst to deal with because it's like death by a thousand cuts. And the ones that when you go to tell people about how they are, people go, well, I don't know. That doesn't seem so bad. Maybe it seems inadvertent. They couldn't have really meant that because they seem so nice, that kind of thing. And I don't know. I talk so much more all about their personality in my video, The Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist. So you might want to check out my video on that particular topic. But anyway, going back to how they have to distract themselves because they are actually really quite miserable people underneath the surface. So they have to distract themselves from their misery. And how do they do that? Well, they do that in a number of ways. Well, one of the ways that they do that is they find their supply. And they have to constantly find new supply because Once people are on to them, then they have to move on. You know, it's like vultures that are picking apart the the carcass. You know, once that carcass is all picked over, then they have to move on down the road to find a new carcass to pick over. And by the way, they get bored of that carcass as well. You know, once they see a good, a better source of supply, they want to move on. Extremely opportunistic. In fact, I remember, you know, like once you have seen the light, and you guys probably will understand exactly what I'm talking about when you have seen the light. You start to look back and then you start to go, oh, I remember that conversation taking place. And it all starts to make more sense as you start to see. You go, oh, 
I remember that. Now I understand what was going on. And I remember this conversation with this person that I had a business situation with. And she was referring to another situation that she had had, actually another business situation with. And I remember her actually saying, well, you know, I got what I needed out of that situation and kind of took it as far as I could go. So I don't really need that person anymore. And and it was like, now that I understand what that person was about, it makes perfect sense, right? But she didn't need that person anymore. She'd kind of gotten what she needed out of it, right? So finding and hanging out with their new supply is one of the things that they do to distract themselves from their misery. Ooh, shiny new object. Let me move on to this next one. So that's number one. Number two is hanging out with their flying monkeys and talking about their targets. They love to do that. So I remember actually that too. I was not the flying monkey. I was the target. And I remember knowing who the flying monkeys were. And, you know, of course... I was the one at the time that this business person had glommed onto as the source of supply. But then they glom onto that source of supply and then they want to devalue the supplier. They want to show the supply how good they are or how they can be better than you or hang out with people that are another source of supply or whatever it is. And you know, you're supposed to somehow be jealous or somehow wonder what they're up to or something like that. And I remember thinking, am I supposed to be wondering what you're talking about? Am I supposed to be wondering what you're doing? Because I remember thinking, I know that's what you're doing. And I remember thinking like, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what conversations you're having, but yet I know that's what you're trying to get me to feel. And and I, I remember thinking, I don't enjoy the game. I don't enjoy the attempt at manipulation. I just want to be out of this situation. But I knew that that was what was happening. I was aware that that was what was happening. And I remember thinking, how did I get here? How did I get sucked into the vortex of this ridiculous game. But I knew that that was what was happening. But hanging out with their flying monkeys and talking about their targets is something that they love to do to try to distract themselves to escape their misery for sure. They love that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we carry them and we bottle them up, it can definitely affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get them off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know it's definitely been helpful for me in learning how to deal with past trauma and set boundaries and be the best version of myself. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's super convenient because it's all online and flexible. Just 
fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash negotiate today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash negotiate. All right, number three is screening and pretending that they are the person that they are masquerading themselves to be. They love to do that. I remember this so much, especially the two covert narcissists in my life. Both of the two covert narcissists in my life happen to be women. Definitely doesn't have to be women. Certainly a lot of covert narcissists are men. You know, they love to preen, they love to parade and be the person that they want to portray themselves to be. So they love to be in situations where they can put themselves in to be that person. So, you know, what's interesting to me is, you know, if it's not working for them, to be in a certain situation, they may say, I'm sick or, you know, I can't show up or whatever, they'll cancel on you. But then if there is a situation where they can put themselves in to look good, like rush to the side of somebody who's sick or has cancer or something, you know, so that they can look good, then suddenly they've recovered from whatever it is that they might have had because they they definitely want to put themselves in a situation where they can portray themselves as the person that they want to portray themselves as. All right. So, and then the last one that they do to distract themselves is just desperately holding on to maintain that facade desperately holding on. I mean, desperately doing whatever they need to do to keep it going. So what do they need to do to maintain that facade? What have they set up in their life to keep it going? So if it's a work situation, if it's a a charity that they're running, if it's something that they're doing at a volunteer situation, something within their family, whatever it is that they've got set up to keep themselves looking good, they've got to keep that going so that they can maintain that picture of who they are. So they, whatever they need to do, they desperately keep that going to distract themselves to escape their misery. And so those are the things that they do that covert narcissists do to continue to escape their misery. And when they go to negotiate, by the way, it's all of this on steroids and they keep going. But once it all starts to break down, then you become public enemy number one and it all starts becoming so much worse. And when that happens, you need to be on high alert. All right, let's talk about the five ways that narcissists sneakily chip away eh, 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 at you. And sometimes it's like you're that frog in that boiling water. 
Have you ever heard about that analogy? You know, the frogs that are sitting in the water and they don't even realize like the water's cold and it's slowly getting warm, slowly, 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 and they don't even realize that they've been boiled. It's what happens sometimes with narcissists. Like all of a sudden you've been boiled because they've just kind of sneakily broken you down and there's it just happens over time and you don't even realize what's been happening and you're just like in it. They just do this thing to you. And so I just want to reveal some of the ways that they sneakily break you down. And you're going to want to watch all the way to the end because I'm going to give you five ways that they do this. It's like so secretive. It's so stealth. It's so insidious. And you don't even realize it's happening until it's happening. And I see it all the time in negotiations. And so when you're negotiating with them, when you're communicating with them, you know, you want to know you're going to want to spot those signs. All right. Number one is that you'll be communicating with them. You'll be fighting with them and... After you're fighting with them, you bring up something that they clearly did wrong. Clearly, they did wrong. Somehow, they turn it around that it was your fault. Like, for example, that they didn't do something that they were supposed to do. Very clearly, They didn't do something that they were supposed to do. And you lay out the facts and let's say they didn't show up for something that they were supposed to show up for. Why didn't they show up for it? Why why weren't they there? What happened to them? And on and on, you go through the plan or whatever it is. And somehow... They stealthily turn that around to it's your fault and you have created this problem, making them feel terrible and making them feel like a piece of crap and and you're creating an issue in the relationship and you're angry all the time and that's why they don't do what they're supposed to because it's your anger and then you know and you're like I was only angry after you didn't show up oh no no that's been going on for months before and you know somehow it's all your fault now you're defending yourself against something and it's all about you and no longer about the one thing that they didn't do. It all gets muddied up and it's no longer about the one thing that they didn't do that they should be held accountable for. It's all about them. They make so much more noise around you and your behavior so that they no longer have to be held accountable for their behavior. And so that sneakily breaks you down. And now suddenly you're groveling at them and you're begging them to be in the relationship instead of the other way around. So 
That's number one. Number two is they will refuse to communicate while discussing an issue. They'll say you're interrupting that, you know, here you're trying to discuss something and then it becomes about how you brought it up or the fact that you're you're too loud, your tone. It, it can't be about what it is that you want to actually discuss. You can never get back to the issue. It's this circular conversation. It becomes this word salad of things. And you're trying to get back to the issue at hand. And you can never seem to get back to the issue because they're saying things like you interrupted me and then you know the next one is actually kind of similar because they'll say like the timing was off why are you bringing that up now or they'll be like what are you wearing right now and is that what you wore when you uh, were out today and and you're still trying to bring up this particular issue and it's all about other things then and you just you can never seem to get to the issue of what it is that you want to talk about and why are you bringing that up when you know that i have a headache and what is it that you're wearing right now and why are you yelling and you literally just interrupted me and you know that the you know the neighbors can hear you and you can seriously never get to what it is that you want to talk about and they're breaking you down and they're breaking you down and oh and that reminds me and you never addressed this issue and now you're off talking about that and now you're on some other tangent about something else and you're never getting back to the issue that you want to talk about ever. And that's a whole form of gaslighting, by the way. And you should definitely check out my video on gaslighting phrases that narcissists use because there's a whole other thing on that for sure. Okay, and number four is even similar. It's like... You know, they'll say you raised your voice when you didn't raise your voice, right? You know, and, and now all of a sudden you're like, what? I didn't raise my voice or, or they will raise their voice. They'll start raising their voice. They'll start getting angry. They'll start making a show. They'll start getting dramatic. They'll start shutting you down. They'll just walk away. They'll just say this conversation is done, you know, so they'll just be ghosting you. They'll just decide they're done and stonewall you so that you can't have any more of a conversation with them. And that that will also break you down as well. And number five, number five is they employ tactics to isolate you. So they'll say things like everyone else or no one else, or I'm the only one who loves you, or I'm the only one who can stand you, or everyone else thinks this, or no one else thinks that. And so they they make you believe that you are crazy in that way. Or they'll line up their minions, sometimes called flying monkeys, to make you think 
that they've got this army of people on their side who are believing their lies against you. And so it's another way of isolating you, another way of making you feel like you shouldn't stand up for yourself. And that's another way of breaking you down. I know the sneaky ways that narcissists control you. I've seen it. For years and years, I practiced law and I didn't see it. I didn't know how you know narcissists operate. I didn't really understand this. Even as a lawyer, it was really not until I dealt with it as somebody who was in a partnership with somebody in a business endeavor, separate and apart from my law practice, that I really started to dive into learning about narcissists. And I had been lecturing all over the country on negotiation. I had even written a book on negotiation and I had been a keynote speaker at an American Bar Association event and you know all of this uh, on negotiation but I sure as heck didn't know that much about narcissism and I didn't know the sneaky ways that narcissists control you and that's why the majority of attorneys in this country really don't understand narcissism and it really wasn't until I realized I was dealing with a narcissist myself in a business situation that I really started to dive into learning about narcissism and reading a lot of books on narcissism. And that's when I started to apply what I was learning about narcissism to some of my cases when I was still practicing full on. And that's when I started to see real movement in how to deal with narcissists. And now I coach people on how to deal with narcissists. And I've come up with a whole program, Slayer Negotiation with a Narcissist. That's when I really started to learn how to deal with narcissists in a really powerful way. I know the sneaky ways that narcissists control you. So one of the things that they do is they confuse the issues. They start talking about other things when you want to talk about something else. You know, so one of the things that they'll do is, you know, you'll say, "Hey, I want to talk to you about these text messages or something like that," you know, and they'll say, "Why why are you bringing that up now?" Uh, well, I just wanted to talk to you about these text messages, bringing that up now because you are make it difficult for me. And um, you know how stressed I am about work and I'm dealing with my sickness right now. And you know that I was sick last week and you know, I'm dealing with the stress of of this and, you know, all these other things. Oh, and you, you're yelling at me and you know, the neighbors can hear us, you know, and then all of a sudden it's about all these other different things. And you never get to talk about what it is that you wanted to talk about. They confuse the issues. Okay. So that's a sneaky way that they control you. All right. So that's number one, they confuse the issues. Number two is they look for your weaknesses and then they use those against you. They know exactly what it is that your Achilles heels are, your your what your weaknesses are. And especially the deeper you get into 
having a personal relationship with them, the longer that they know you, they'll they'll start to say things that they know are your weaknesses against you. They'll say things like, well, you're not very good at that anyway, or like just little passive aggressive things that you'll be like, whoa, where did that come from? That person probably um, isn't getting along with you because you're not very good at getting along with people or you know, something like that. And probably because of the issues that you know you had with your mother and that's why you don't get along well with people or something like that. And and it's like, what? You know, just things like that that they know will be hurtful to you. That sort of thing. So that's number two. Number three is gaslighting. All of narcissists use gaslighting to confuse you, to control you. And it's a very, very sneaky way to control you and try to confuse you, to make you think that you're crazy. And gaslighting, there's so many different forms of gaslighting, but it's a way of stabilizing you. It's a way of making you think that you're crazy. It's a way of making you think that your reality is not your reality. So I I do have a whole video on narcissistic gaslighting phrases but you know in short it's basically a very brief explanation is something like i'm going away next weekend oh you're going away next weekend i didn't know you were going away oh yeah we talked about that and you agreed don't you remember we never talked about that oh yeah we had a whole conversation about it and you agreed we never talked about that. Oh yeah, we did. And you know, you never had that conversation, but they'll swear that you had that conversation. And you know, they'll they'll say things like that so many times and then you start to question your reality like maybe we did have that conversation and you know, that's the kind of thing that they'll do. Or, you know, you'll see a text message that's very, very suggestive with a coworker and, you know, at night or something like that, or love you and, you know, that sort of thing. And they'll say, that's not what you're seeing. You're so needy. You're very paranoid. We're just friends and make you think like you're the one who's crazy, that sort of thing. Number four sneaky way that narcissists control you is they become the victim by turning the tables. They do something wrong. And so, you know, you question them on it. Like I I had somebody who was a professional, somebody who used to work with me, and you would ask them about something that they were supposed to be doing. And then suddenly it was, you know that I had breast cancer, 10 years ago and you know this is very stressful for me and you know and it became about that and not about the fact that they didn't do their work and so now you're supposed to feel bad for bringing up the fact that they didn't do their work because they had breast cancer 10 years ago and they become the victim they turn the tables so that's one another way that they sneaky ways that narcissists try to control you another way that narcissists try to control you is 
by shock and awe, like becoming very dramatic. They start to yell, they start to throw things, they wake you up in the middle of the night to have a fight with you, they throw on the lights, they might throw something, you know, at the wall. They try to control you like that by becoming very, very dramatic. And, you know, I had a Slay client that I just interviewed, Shikadi, who you should definitely listen to his interview uh, on my podcast and also video here where he talked about how he had actually like PTSD after getting out of the narcissistic relationship because the narcissist that he was in relationship with used to throw on the lights in the middle of the night and, you know, start to have fights with him in, you know, in the middle of the night. That's the kind of thing they do. Shock and awe by becoming super dramatic. That's a way to control you, to bring you to your knees like that. So that's another one. Another one is these hot and cold games that they play. You know, they start off with the love bombing and you're the most amazing, incredible, special human being they've ever met. You know, they sweep you off your feet. They rock your world. You are amazing and huge gestures and lock you in as quickly as possible. And you're like, wow. And and then all of a sudden ghost you and they don't respond to text messages and Days may go by and and then all of a sudden, you know, like you're so needy. What's up with you? You know, I have to work. And, you know, like these hot and cold games, you know, that they play. And that's a way of controlling you. So that's another one. Another one that they do is use guilt. Try to guilt you. You know, so especially around holidays or, I mean, this is a really biggie for covert narcissists. And I have a whole video on covert narcissism in relationships. Definitely check that out. And I dealt with a covert narcissist myself. So how do narcissists contradict themselves? They constantly do. They constantly contradict themselves. And, you know, it's kind of crazy. And when you go to negotiate with them, you can actually use this as leverage. And that's why I want to make sure that you watch all the way till the end and take notes because you can actually use this as you're going to negotiate with them, strategize with them, and make sure you hold this close to the vest because this is what you're going to be able to use against them when you are negotiating with them. This is your leverage. They constantly contradict themselves. They think that they're so great all the time. They really do contradict themselves constantly. So one of the ways that they contradict themselves is that they'll constantly tell you that they are the most truthful people in the world. They'll go around telling everybody that they're truthful and they'll actually condemn people who are liars. They'll be like, oh, that person's a total liar. And and they'll actually tell everybody how much integrity that they have. And they'll even tell people that integrity is 
their their number one thing, but they are pathological liars. Like everything that comes out of their mouth is a total lie. And here's the thing, if people have to constantly tell you how amazing they are, how much they're not liars, how much everybody else is a liar, how much they're truthful, they're probably pathological liars. And they constantly contradict themselves as far as the truth. Here's the crazy thing about narcissists is that they lie about things that they don't even need to lie about. Things that are even small things, things that are insignificant and things that are readily verifiable. That's the thing that's like crazy to me. Here's an example. During the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial, she lied about the fact that she wasn't allowed to make movies that were where she was in relationships with men. She couldn't get close to men. You know, she was afraid of that. And it was super readily verifiable that she was in this Magic Mike movie and her face was in the crotch of the sky and she was doing these interviews and saying how great it was and how comfortable she was. I mean, so readily verifiable. I mean, why would she lie about that on the stand when it's readily verifiable? That's the kind of thing that you know, blows my mind. And by the way, I have a whole video on all of Amber Heard's lies on the stand if you're interested in checking that out. But that's the kind of thing that I, I just, you know, really blows my mind. And even on a much smaller scale, you know, I've seen that as a lawyer where somebody will send an email to somebody, you know, like I've had a situation where a client was had a meltdown with her son, threw her son out of the house at two o'clock in the morning, and then sent an email to the husband saying, you know, this is probably better for us to take a little bit of a break. Why don't you call the bus service, have the bus service start coming to your house for a while, have him stay at your house for a while. And then two weeks later, files a motion saying that the husband is wrongfully keeping the child and she never agreed to having the child be over at her at the husband's house. I mean, when there's an email saying that he should call the bus service, that's the kind of thing. It's readily verifiable, crazy things. So number two is that they'll demand respect of themselves but then be totally disrespectful to you. Constantly be demanding respect and then constantly interrupting you. They'll say, you need to lower your voice. And then they'll be yelling at you while they're saying, lower your voice. You know, those are the kinds of things. You know, they're constantly disrespectful while they are demanding respect. And they're they're super hateful while they are hating on you. You know, that's the kind of thing that's really, really contradictory. And if you want to know why the narcissist hates you, I do have a whole video on why the narcissist hates you. And you can definitely check that out if you would like. I mean, they're just they, you know, they hateful inside. So you can definitely check that out. And the next one is that they will constantly be boastful about how 
much they work, how hard they work, how great they are at things. And then they run away from responsibilities. They don't, they never follow through on things. Covert narcissists are the worst at this. They'll, you know, say that they're going to do things and then never follow through. Pretty much inherently lazy. And, you know, they take credit for other people's ideas all the time. You know, they're really just fakers a lot of times, you know. I know that you guys have seen this before, right? And the next one is that they act like they're invulnerable all the time, like they're so strong and you know, no one can hurt them. But then they turn around and act like victims. Oh, I can't believe you did that to me and you hurt me. And I can't believe that person did that to me. And I can't believe that person did that to me. And, you know, I can't believe you're against me. You're either for me or you're against me. You know, they act like they're victims, but they act like they're so strong all the time. That's another way that they contradict themselves. Oh, you know, you didn't take this deal. You know, you didn't take it quickly enough. Now I'm moving the goalposts. Again, something that they constantly do in negotiations. And if you want to know why narcissists move goalposts, I have a whole video on that as well. Definitely want to check that out as well. Something they constantly do in negotiations. The last one is. That they want to be seen as independent. I'm so independent. I don't need anybody. But then they constantly demand attention. I have to be seen. I have to be heard. They have to have attention on them all the time. But yet they want to be seen as independent. I don't need anybody. Very, very, very contradictory. There's so many different ways that they contradict themselves. And these are just a few of them. But as you can see, they are ways that you can actually use against them in negotiations and start stacking them up as leverage, as part of your strategy. Because once you understand the mentality, then you can start building strategy around that. A lot of times you're not necessarily noticing it right away. But first of all, you start off thinking this person is perfect. Whether it's a business relationship or a personal relationship, I dealt with a narcissist in a business situation personally. And, you know, my husband and I have had to deal with narcissists in our family as well. And, you know, regardless of the type of narcissist, whether it's a covert narcissist or an overt narcissist, it's the same kind of thing. You know, they start off amazing. They start off like, oh my gosh, this is like the most perfect, amazing person in the world. And they make you feel like you're the most incredible human being they've ever met. Like, wow, the stars have aligned. And then, they start this hot and cold thing. And that's where the game playing starts. That's the very first thing that you start to notice, this hot and cold, this ghosting and, you know, where did they go? That's the first sign, really, a lot of the time. You know, now all of a sudden you're needy or something like that, you know, that 
you can't get them to text you back or they're super passive aggressive. You can't get them to do the things that you asked them to do or they promised that they would do. If it's a business relationship or you're finding out that there's gaps in their stories or there's lying and they've got some kind of explanation about it, there's red flags that are showing up. And you know, you start to see that they're making promises that they have no intention of fulfilling. And then a lot of times, you know, you start to see them, they come like all the way up as close to your breaking point as possible. Like you're just about to the edge of you can't take it anymore. And then back to love bombing again back to future faking, back to it's all going to be better, back to you'll see, oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing, back to, you know, if it's a romantic situation, flowers, or I'm so sorry, or crying and desperate to keep you or whatever it is. And, you know, if it's a business relationship, all of a sudden they start doing the things they were supposed to do or whatever it is because they know like you're maybe about to leave or something. You know, so this is hot and cold, this up and down all the way to your breaking point where you feel like there's no way you can stay another day and then they're good again and then back to this thing. So you start to see that all the time. And in negotiations, you kind of see that where... You think you have a deal and all of a sudden you don't have a deal anymore. Now they add something else or they take away something. And now it's constantly what I say, moving the goalposts. By the way, I have a whole video on why narcissists move goalposts, which you should definitely check out. Why do narcissists move goalposts constantly? Definitely check out that video. In that same vein, similar vein, they never resolve issues in the relationship. You have this constant circular conversation. You know, you're trying to resolve an issue and they never resolve the issue. That's another game that they play. You know, you sit there and you try to have a conversation with them about something. And let's say you try to, talk to them about maybe something that they did or didn't do. And it's, why are you bringing this up now? Oh, I don't like your tone of voice. Oh, everybody can hear you right now. I'm really tired. Why are you talking about that? Oh, do this first. You know, Before you get to that, let's talk about this. And you never get to talking about what you wanted to talk about. Well, you interrupted me. So you never get to talking about what you wanted to talk about ever. You know, there's never any resolution to problems in the in the relationship. And another thing is the way that they play games is that they just never give you what it is that you want in the relationship. They'll say that they're going to give you what you want. You'll see that it's going to be better. And from now on, I'm going to always do this, that, or the other thing. It could be the simplest thing. You know, if you're married to the person, from now on, I'm going to be doing the laundry every single week or whatever it is. And then they just never do it. And, you know, well, this week I had that and this week I had this. 
And it just never happens. And why are you always on my back? Whatever it is, I mean, it just never happens. So those are the, you know, some of the game playing that they do so far, you know, and then a lot of times it's just that they'll just raise their voice. You know, you're trying to talk to them. And the more you try to talk to them about something, they'll just raise their voice or they'll use hand gestures. They might even get physical with you because they just don't want to hear what you have to say. Or maybe they'll just walk away because they don't want to hear what you have to say. Maybe they just won't even text you back. Maybe they'll just completely ghost you because they don't want to hear what you have to say. You know, so that's another way that they will game play you. They're just completely manipulating you constantly. So, you know, they're they're toying with your feelings. It's just hot and cold constantly. You don't ever get what you want. They get what they want because they're constantly controlling you, game playing with you, and you just constantly feel used, abused, emotionally wracked, and everything is your fault. Everything is, you know, put on you. You're constantly being made to feel guilty. You're the one who's irresponsible, lazy you know, the problem in the relationship and everything's always turned back on you. And, you know, that's the way they manipulate. That's the way they game play. So, you know, those are just some of the the things, those are just some of the ways that narcissists game play in relationships, romantic, business, personal, they act the same, whether it's covert, overt, doesn't matter. They act like that in any. And and when they are negotiating, it's the same thing, only it's even more heightened. And that's why I specialize in this because you cannot negotiate with a narcissist in a regular, reasonable person way. The regular rules of negotiation just simply do not work with narcissists. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Slayers, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast I'm excited about, Creating Confidence, hosted by Heather Monahan, a part of the Yap Media Network. Heather sits down with experts like Gary Vee, Sarah Blakely, and Les Brown to share with you techniques and strategies to create your confidence, pursue your dreams, and leapfrog villains you'll meet along the way. Creating confidence is about elevating your confidence to the highest level ever and take 
your business right there with you. Don't believe me? I'm going to share some of the amazing reviews that I've seen on Apple. Here's one. Heather has the perfect gems of wisdom that not only inspire you, but motivate you into action. I recommend it to anyone who wants to elevate their reach and go to that next level. How about that? That's amazing. Here's another one. Heather is so inspiring and each episode is filled with tips and tricks on how to become more confident and live the life of your dreams. So if you are looking to level up your confidence, check out Creating Confidence now. Subscribe to Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is.